The Saint of the Wilderness, also known as Sheffi, by Jess Carr, Chapter 11, Part 2. Eliza's brother, Jimmy, came in before bedtime and gave them additional news. A traveling drummer from Baltimore had told at the neighborhood store that John Brown had massacred people in Kansas and has said, God told me to do it. Eliza shivered a little. Massacres are not very pleasant to think about at bedtime, Jimmy, she said. Nevertheless, they all did retire, but not before ominous eyes had exchanged glances with other ominous eyes. Robert noticed, and he tossed in his own bed long after the household was quiet. At breakfast, he was the last to come to the table, and before he was seated, he could not help noticing furrowed brows and questioning gazes upon him. What's the matter, Robert? Eliza rose halfway out of her chair. I don't know what you mean, he said. It's your face, Robert, Margaret Stafford said anxiously. Your countenance is lamping. He felt with his hand. He knew he must speak, must tell them now. Eliza was quick, quickly at his side. Are you sick, Robert? No, I'm all right. Just let me think a few minutes and get me a glass of water. Would you do that, Eliza? He sipped it slowly, but his eyes looked across their heads until his vision affixed itself upon a dying oak tree through the window. It was the dream. What? Eliza whispered. The dream, he said absently. The dream, but I don't know what it means. Can you tell us about it? More than one voice reached him. I had the most vivid dream, but I don't understand it. A young mother was standing in a meadow of tall grass, uh, nursing her two children at her breasts. They were not babies, but rather younger, young sons. They broke away from her while the milk yet poured from her breasts and picked up swords from the grass. After each one struck a blow, she fell to the ground, split in twain. When the sons stood in their mother's blood, one was laughing and the other was crying. He could speak no more of it, for he did not know what he had envisioned or why. He ate his breakfast in solitude and departed the house. Robert's first knowledge of the Civil War came two weeks after the firing on Fort Sumter in April 1861. The news coming from so far away caused little commotion, and he trudged off to the wilds of Lee County, where he was told territory existed too rugged for a bear and too scary for an Indian. Charles Thomas, Robert, and I don't believe God ever made any territory the devil could chase a man into and be safe in hiding from the Lord, Robert declared. The separation of the Northwest Territory of Virginia and the impending uh, convention meeting uh, to, to make that separation permanent, plus the succession of some states and talk of doing some by others, or doing so by others, uh, began to make up for turmoil and strife originally lacking by 1862, the spirit of his work had begun to suffer. The world seemed a massive confusion. The Northwest Territories of the state, 
according to the newspapers, had repudiated a succession and were calling themselves West Virginia. The call to arms invoked sorrow throughout homes of the ridges and plains alike until he felt that not a word of comfort he offered or a prayer he uttered or a sermon he preached was being heard. All ears seemed to hear only anguish and eyes seemed only inflamed with anger or tears at the departure of loved ones who might never return. The god of war was now the great presence. They need you more now than ever, Eliza would say encouragingly as he crisscrossed the territory, taking only occasional rest in the Irish settlement. They don't seem to be listening, and I talk to the Lord about it and tell my prayer, Matt runs of my sweat. They are listening more faithfully, perhaps, than you realize. In these terrible days, they wear new faces. Maybe it is this which you have not taken into account. The first snow fell on October 20th, and if there was ever a fall more bleak than this one, Robert could not remember it. For almost three years, John Brown had lain rotting in his grave, and now, from northern Virginia at Bull Run and Murfreesboro in Tennessee and Mills Springs in Kentucky to the west, the news and sounds of war came ever nearer. McClellan's moves on Richmond had brought the war still closer to home, but it was not necessary for guns to explode along Cripple Creek as a reminder that devastation crept toward them with every passing day. Robert found himself kneeling in prayer with his oldest son as the youth prepared to make his contribution to the defense of his home country. Hugh, Hugh Trigg, his second son, uh, took his older brother's job and schoolroom chair, and Robert found his household reduced to four children. In addition, Sarah and Leah were now suggesting that those remaining be allowed to move back with their uncle and grandparents, to whom they were so close. Robert would not consent to such an arrangement at that time, but promised to think about it and make a decision later. His ministry now began to take some new turns. He did not discontinue the personal evangelism and the home visits, but increasingly he found himself a part of prayer groups who he believed would gladly have stayed on their knees forever if that would bring their sons and husbands home and peace again to their land. He found himself preaching to units of uh, home guards and local encampments of soldiers who were organizing to move out and into the heat of the battle in some distant location. A week before Thanksgiving, at Eliza's invitation, he rode to the Irish settlement and saw for the first time Eliza's household in the grip of a most painful sadness. War had come closer to home for his dear friends also, as they prepared to give up their brother and youngest son. Brother Robert, we will organize at Parisburg on Saturday. I will be in Captain Andrew Gott's company of the 36th Virginia Regiment, and I'd be obliged if you'd say a prayer over us, Jimmy Stafford said. 
Robert did as he was asked and returned home with the Stafford family, whose sorrow he shared in the same manner as that which he had felt at his own son's departure. We are not prepared for this, Eliza wept. What senseless men have brought this terrible thing upon us? He tried to comfort her, but she grew quiet and remote from him. Every member of the household found a favor, favorite corner in which to grieve, but he prayed with each of them until faith emerged victorious over unhappiness. I don't know how we could have faced this without you, Robert, Eliza said. You have been such a help to us, and there is such strength and conviction in your prayers. Whatever the decree of our divine Lord, we must accept it. Do you believe that as strongly as I do, Eliza? Yes, I believe it. I'm not sure I can be as strong in that way as you are, perhaps as I grow more spiritually. Maybe through you my own faith is deepening. I would be pleased if I could be instrumental, if you saw in me some gift, some closeness to God that shines of his glory. I think I believed in you long before I ever met you, Robert. Now there is no doubt. He reached for her hand then, and she gave it willingly. If I could ever give you back sixfold the love that has been shown to me in this house, I would still feel indebted. I've often thought of the happy times that Jesus enjoyed in the house of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. How much this house has been like that for me when I grew weary of my travels. With all of God's blessings to me, I think none is greater than the arms of my children and the sweetness of this house. He rode back to Cripple Creek, still savoring the sweetness about which he had spoken. There were few days now that Eliza's loving face and kind blue eyes were absent from his uh, thoughts, but accompanying the beautiful uh, was the ugly and fears about the war invaded his senses by every route. Don't any of us know what's going on going to happen, Wendell Swecker said, but if them Yankees swoop down on us, they'll take everything we got. Some of us will be lucky if we are, have enough corn left for seed. What I'm saying is, why don't you rent out your place to a hustling family that can raise all that the ground will stand? Uh, you don't have the time to plant much more than a big garden. If those Yankees don't do swarm do down, I'll, I'd rather have these children closer to my kin. Sarah added fuel to the argument of her father. Later in the week, his brother-in-law also approached him. I'm not saying I always believe in your calling, but Leah and Sarah changed my mind, Ben Swecker began. And there are some saying you, you're just too lazy to tend your land. I stood up for you and told them that the good book pardons a man for leaving his family if it's for the purpose of doing the Lord's work. Anyway, with you being gone so much, I'd like to keep Daniel Winton uh, with me a while. The boy is getting close on 15, and he can be a lot of help, and he's taken a real liking to me. I don't aim to steal him from you, and I'll honor 
your name. You can count on it. I'd thank you for that, Robert said. Way I see it, there's no reason we can't both be a daddy to him. I'm as stuck on him as he is on me. I'll be good to him, and when he gets older, if he wants to leave, I won't make any claim on him. I might as well tell you, John Robert wants to come with him. At first, Robert could not bear the thought of his youngest child's hardly ten years old leaving home. Sarah scoffed at this, saying, They won't be going anywhere. They'll be where they've been, always been, just sleeping in different beds, that's all. They'll be in one house as much as the other. If it'll put your mind at, e at ease any, neither one of the girls can remember her mother. I am their mother as far as they're concerned, and I don't have to prove it to you that I've got a mother's love for them. No, you don't, Sarah, and God bless you. It's It all made sense. Why not turn over his land to someone who could have food growing on every cleared foot of it? Indeed, the whole county might be laid to waste within twelve months. If devastation came upon them, God would need him more than ever to weep and pray with the bereaved, the hungry, the poor, and suffering. It all made sense, really. Nothing was changing very much, and yet it was. Division would be taking place, and in a sense, he would be relinquishing his role as father, albeit a part-time one. The other reason for his reluctance was one which he was afraid of putting to the test. If he asked Eliza to marry him, and she agreed, would she accept his children? Would she truly want them? He held back on an answer to Sarah or Leah, and likewise he held at bay his brother-in-law. Finally, he told Wendell Swecker that he would give them his answer by the beginning of the new year. After spending Christmas Day with his own family and in-laws, he headed for Giles County and specifically the quiet valleys of the Irish settlement where frame, log, and stone houses seemed literally to exude a refreshing serenity. There was no snow, and for that he was thankful, but no puddle remained unfrozen, and the slow-moving streams were frozen solidly enough for a horse and rider to cross in some places. The trip was a full day's ride in summer, and the shorter days of winter would mean leaving before daylight and riding after dark. This time the trip was a special one, with normal duties and routines in the background of his mind. In his saddlebags, a very modest gift was safely tucked away. Eliza had wanted this a book, but he could not wholeheartedly approve of it or of most modern novels. He dismounted as the dogs announced his arrival. His legs were stiff, partly from the day's ride, but also because he wore the new uh, broadcloth trousers his family and in-laws had given him for Christmas, Christmas, and they were not yet broken in. His nicest frock coat com complemented the new black trousers, and Sarah had pressed his jacket with the flatirion and dusted it. He knew that his sister-in-law sensed that something was afoot, but he 
had told her nothing. Eliza met him at the door, ready and expectant, for they had agreed on this day. He handed her the book, taking note of the high-sounding name of Nathaniel Hawthorne at the bottom. A happy Christ day to you, he said. The scarlet letter. Oh, thank you, Robert. You could have kept me in suspense a while longer. I had no place to hide it. Your father has put my horse in the barn. I shan't be so impulsive. You will have to wait for my gift. Come on into the parlor and warm your hands. They feel like gnarled icicles, and your feet must be frozen. He sat down to, by the lamp, and she looked more closely at his gift to her. All my friends have been talking about this book. You are thoughtful to bring it to me, Robert. Here I stand chattering, and you have not had your supper. I made you some vegetable soup today. That will take the chill out of your bones. He took the soup and sipped a spoonful of it noisily. Forgive me, Aunt Elizabeth. But his lips remained cold. Eliza watched him with an amused look. Her eyes seemed to be twinkling like the winter stars he had ridden under. Only then did he notice how nicely she had dressed for him, how everything about her seemed to fit and make her handsome of gown and pretty of face. The ribbon-trimmed dress of amber and with large oversleeves hung loosely on her body, and her hair fell down and over her ears and was pulled back into a high bun at the back of her head. She projected poise and confidence in herself, and he liked it. You like, you look like some of the advertisements we used to get at the dry goods store. You know, drawings of models and women, on women and women's clothes. I wasn't sure until you got to the second sentence whether I was being complimented or not. You are like a flower, Eliza, a flower that has drunk of God's sunshine and sends the rays back to where they came from. He did not get to ask Eliza the question he came, he had come for until the house was quiet and they were they sat alone it, if it was possible uh, he felt much more frightened on the occasion of his second proposal than he had on that of his first eliza listened to him without showing surprise nor could he observe any new flood of happiness uh, her face was deadly serious, and she looked almost like a different person. Robert, I can't say that your proposal is a total surprise. I don't mean that without humility, but we're both old enough to know where we are, we're heading, and where I have reason to believe both of our hearts were leading us. There is reservation in your voice, he said. Robert, your possible offer to me has been discussed in this house long before you made it, but don't think the discussion has been disrespectful to you or an undue praying into our, or prying into our affairs, she added, moving closer to him. What is it you're trying to say then? She looked away and then back to him. My parents and my two older brothers strongly oppose our marriage. Her words shook him and he, his head dropped. I didn't know they were thinking like that, he said without looking at her. It isn't you, Robert. 
You know how fond they are of you. You can't disbelieve that. Mother even forgives you for the time you asked her to change her dress because it had a grease spot on it. Do you remember that? It was the second time you stayed here. Her attempt at lightheartedness did not bring back the confidence he had held onto even above his fears. They object to my calling then, not your calling, to the way it would affect me. They believe in your work, but they also believe that I would suffer from it, you being gone so much and everything. Part of that is true, he confessed, but you'd be dear to me whether we were separated or together. They think our life would be mostly apart. My older brothers feel even more strongly about it than my parents. Maybe if John and David would tend to their own affairs. Oh, Robert, don't show any wrath toward them. If I were your sister and you loved me, wouldn't you be anxious for my happiness? Yes, now that we've been around the uh, horn with the family, I'm more interested in what your feelings are. I wanted to get to me last. I wanted you to know how the family felt and why, and to have you know that none of their fondness for or belief in you is one trifle less. They simply cannot rid themselves of seeing me sitting by the fire alone on a cold winter's night, and you miles and miles away somewhere in the wilderness. I can't deny there would be times like that. Now we have come full circle. What did you ask me in the beginning? The obliquity of her words caused him to frown a minute until he understood, and he said, I asked you if you'd marry me, and I accept your proposal. Days ago I came to my own decision. Well, you certainly went around the cow shed about it. I wanted you to know everything and where we've got to start from. Now I feel like the bishop loves me and nobody wants me in the church. Don't be like that. I want us to live in a way that will give them something to remember. Not to prove them wrong, but to give them the joy of finding their error for themselves. He kissed her cheek then, feeling all the while a new and urgent nearness. Robert, I think I made this decision even farther back than I'm admitting. It goes deeper than just loving you. I have told you before that I believe in you, but I want to contribute more than that. I want to give something to your work, and I have long known what it is. Uh, this part he was unprepared for, and instant, instantly he wondered whether he wanted to hear it or not. Uh, what I know of your ministry, dear Robert, and what I know of you lead me to believe you are truly God's servant, possessed of a magnificent and unshakable faith. No man's heart could hold any more hope than I believe yours does. I believe that you are lacking in sufficient warmth for your charity. It is not wrong that the face reflect the love and happiness of the heart, and I have already prepared evidence from the Bible to support me. Somewhere in the distance, Charles Thomas Robert whinnied. Could it be that my blessed Lord has sent a warning to me through the lungs of my animal about this woman? Robert thought. He con his continued silence seemed only to spur 
Eliza onward, there is not one argument in favor of long-faced Christianity or the withholding of one speck of the humanness that Christ himself ex exemplified. Charles Thomas Robert whinnied again. It's hard to smile sometimes, Eliza. Not if your face reflects what you believe. He conceded that she must be right, though he had thought little of such reasoning. I can bear the loneliness we both realize that I'll have to endure if I know I'm contributing something. By giving something and believing in what you are doing, it will all be more bearable. We love the same Lord, Robert, and I love him no less than you do. We must be partners in faith as we well be in life. If you can add new humanness to an old soldier, I'd be praised, and I have no doubt that you can. You have made my heart new already. But all of our problems are not solved, he added. The worried look on his face came suddenly, for in her anticipation of loneliness, he realized that she had not even entertain the thought of having his children live with them. He approached the matter and saw that she could not conceal the degree to which the question had thrown her off guard. You have not mentioned this possibility before, Robert, and I suppose, in all honesty, I am not prepared to deal with it. It was true, he hadn't. In one way of looking at the matter, there was no reason he should have. He had not asked her to marry him before this night. Still, he had given her reason to believe. I guess I hadn't thought it out either, he confessed. Everything has been one way for so long. Maybe each assumed things, things that really hadn't been settled. Those times you have mentioned your children, they seemed so content and attached uh, to their aunts and grandparents. They are, but I hope they're still attached to me, too. I don't want them to forget who their real father is. You understand that. She said she did, but the anguish on her face grew deeper. Do you think I could be a mother to them and handle them like I'd need to? I'm over 42 years old, as you well know, and this would be a new experience for me. If I had known motherhood, nobody would be a finer mother than you, Eliza. All four of the children are almost big enough to take care of themselves. How old did you say the biggest boy is? He's about 15, and the youngest will be 10 this summer. Would this be fair to the children's aunts and grandparents? They'd miss the youngsters, I know that, but they can see my side of it. I wonder if we wouldn't be tearing people away from each other who want to stay together and who belong together. She paused and thought then, uh, looking at Robert searchingly. I'm not just saying that. I don't know what to say. It isn't a question I can answer so quickly. Let me think about it until tomorrow. I will give you my answer then. At breakfast, Eliza's eyes looked red and swollen, and she nibbled at her food. His own looked no more alert, for he had spent a fitful night also. In spite of her obvious fatigue, Eliza tried to be bright and cheerful, but her mother and father both eyed her suspiciously, he noticed. Finally, when the two of them 
were alone again, Eliza came to him and took both of his hands. Yes, I'll help you raise the children. They're a part of you, and I had forgotten that. You will need to be patient with me. I am ashamed of myself. Here we are in the midst of war with each other, with each of us having a loved one away from home, and the sure knowledge that hundreds of children will be homeless, and I have paused in a decision that should have been made without so much forethought. He thanked her, but somehow there was no joy in the victory he had won. Returning to Cripple Creek, he had only to announce his decision, and he did so the next night after he arrived. It had been Sarah's week to stay with the children, and she gathered them around their father as he had asked and cast an ominous glance toward him herself. Children, only two of you, you, Daniel, Daniel and your sister, Sarah Louise, can barely remember your natural mother. I have met a fine lady who wants to become a part of our family, and you will come to love her very much. He continued until he had told them everything about Eliza that he could think of. Then he invited their questions. Uh, when will our new, when will the lady be coming to live with us? The oldest girl asked. I don't think she will be coming here, Sarah Louise. Uh, we will probably rent our house and land and move to Giles County, but we'll come back real often, he added, to offset possible objections. You see, your father's work has always been where other preachers are, not so plentiful, and in sections of the country where there are not many people. Part of my work will be in what will soon be officially called West Virginia, our 35th state. Giles County is much nearer to that section. As silence reigned, he continued, Our Cripple Creek Valley has such a busy iron and lead industry now that it's no longer like it was when your mother and I were first married. All the mines and forges are working day and night to help us win the war. We must do our part, and I feel that God leads me to other pastures. And so many of the places I have served before have grown and have their own regular ministers now. There was still silence. He could give them many more good reasons why things must change, but he noticed misty eyes. Even Hugh Trigg fought back tears. He joined in their silence, but tried fervently to think of a different approach. Was it possible for them to understand his need for a wife and the depth of his love for this woman? He had new thoughts in order when the two girls broke from the group, no longer holding back the flood of tears, and ran outside into the cold of December. In seconds, the boys followed, hiding their sadness no better. He asked Sarah to have them come back in, for he could not stand to cause them heavy hearts. If they would listen to more information about their new home site, they would feel differently, he believed. Robert, for over nine years, my family and I have helped to care for these children. You and I have had few cross words, but this time I think I'm going to speak my piece. If you want the children, you get them. She stalked into the kitchen, and only a belated concern for the children dislodged him from the 
his temporary immobility, they were weeping pitifully when he rounded them up from under a barren walnut tree whose limbs swayed in the ice wind and ice in the icy wind. He got them back by the fire, but Sarah stood her ground in the kitchen, and he went into her. Uh, you are wrong, Robert, she said, as though her speech were rehearsed. You who holds love for the smallest blooming flower, you would hurt your own children? But you're not even knowing it, are you? That's the sad part. You really don't see what you've done. Both her temper and her flow of words confused him completely. There's no wrong in a man wanting a good woman by his side, and she's a fine Christian woman who believes in the Lord's work, he said. I have no doubt of that, but she couldn't be a mother to your children for years, if ever, not at their ages. Can't you see it, Robert? This is their home, and we Sweckers are the only family they know or want to know. So that is why they weep? Robert, I don't condemn you for the part of their lives you've missed. The souls you've helped to save for the Lord's kingdom speak for that. But you sure know a lot more about sinners than you do children. Sarah, I think I'm just now realizing how much I owe you and Leah and the others. Forget about me, but it's like tearing my own children away just to think about it. Lord knows what it would be to what it would do to Leah and Mama and Papa. I haven't meant to cause you grief. Looks like I didn't see all the picture for looking at just a part of it. Can't you see the answer, she said? It's as plain as the nose on your face. Go on and marry this good woman. If you want to live in Isles County, nothing very much is going to change if you'll come and see the children regular. You are always gone anyhow, and not one of them will notice much difference. Things can be like they always have been, and nobody be heartbroken or separated. Let me think about it overnight. You pointed out some things to me I hadn't seen before. Let everybody get to bed now. We've got ourselves in a lather, and a good night's rest and a little praying is what we all need. When he and Sarah came from the kitchen for night uh, shirt clad, uh, four night shirt clad bodies scrambled away from the door. Sarah scolded them for eavesdropping and sent them to bed, but the youngest girl held back and asked her aunt to sleep with her. All right, Margaret, get in my bed and I will be there directly. The boys will have it tough in the garret tonight. I guess they wish I hadn't come home so they could have my bed. Robert poked at the fire and added more wood. Sarah had something else on her mind, and he could sense it. What is it, Sarah? She started at his perception. Did Miss Stafford think your plan was a good one? We talked about it, and she mentioned some of the things you called my attention to, but she agreed to it. She must love you a great deal to think of taking on that kind of load. I can't believe she believed it sensible. She would know too clearly the picture here. Yet what a great tr uh, trust in you. I can't make up my mind, Robert. She 
was either very foolish or very wise to say yes to everything you apparently asked of her. Now that the night is almost over, and I think back to being with her, I think she was wiser than I had realized until just now. Sarah went to her room, but he sat by the fire and penned a letter to his older boys. He thought over all that had transpired, and within the hour he sank to his knees until at last peace came to his soul. All was well with him now. If only the war was over, and if James Wesley were only home. But another prayer of thankfulness crossed his lips. Battle had not yet come very near. In a few days, a new year would be beginning. Perhaps the coming of 1864 would see an end to the national tragedy. The next day, he agreed to leave matters at Cripple Creek as they were. Shouts went up as if the war itself had ended and Cripple Creek had been victorious. In a few days, he rode back to Eliza and told her of the decision he had made. Relief was visible in her face, but he made no mention of it. They announced their final plans and wedding date to Eliza's parents, who, though still opposed to the marriage, offered their congratulations and good grace. I have no misbelief about how your life together is going to be, James Stafford spoke with a serious this Robert had not before seen. For that reason, I hope you will make your home with us. When you are gone, Robert, at least our daughter will have someone to look out for her. On January 27th, serenaded by a powdery snow falling through a bone-chilling rawness, they repeated their marriage vows. Robert made no attempt to move his belongings to Giles County until the winter was over. By the time spring came, he had rented his land and log house on a yearly basis and settled his family with their kin in a manner that was pleasing to all. Most of his household belongings were loaned to his sister-in-law against the day that he and Eliza would set up housekeeping in their own home. What personal belongings he required rested with ease across his horse's back, tied in sacks and in saddlebags. He made no special ceremony of saying goodbye to the children, saying instead that he would be gone about the usual time and would see them again before they missed him. He was out of sight and headed north toward Witherville before the tears uh, flooded his face. James Wesley had no furlough in months, but he had written to say that his company would be would pass through Withville the weekend of April 22nd on their way up the valley of Virginia, and that if his father could meet him there, they would be able to spend perhaps an hour or so together. This Robert would do, and then he would be free to leave With County for another place and another life. Next time, Chapter 12.